So five or six weeks of some parables now. And we're starting with the stories Jesus told in Luke 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. For when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over ninety-nine others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels, even when one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. 
Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Can you go grab my sermon from over there? <laughs> Mary, do you want to pray for us as we yep. open this passage of Scripture? Dear Lord, we uh, thank you that we can gather together today and we just pray that uh, we will understand the words that you're giving Greg to speak to us on this passage, that we can understand it on all things. We just pray that you'll be with us during this day. Thank you. Thanks Mary and thanks Wendy. So we've got a funny view of God humans, don't we? Um, I think I've got back there, someone's got my thing to change slides? Perfect. We have a really funny view of God. That's from Monty Python, the bottom one. Sometimes we think of God far away, looking down at us, wanting to punish us in some way, even to perhaps drop a piano on us. From a young age, we, we think about God and we, began to, we begin to imagine what he's like. And we often get really strange ideas. We all come up with them. In school in America, some young children were asked to write a message or a prayer to God. Dear God, I went to a wedding. They kissed in church. Is that okay? <laughs> Dear God, please put another holiday between Easter and Christmas. There's nothing good in there now. We read Thomas Edison made light, but Sunday school, they said, you did it. So I bet he stole your idea. (laughs) But one of the most insightful messages uh, from these Sunday school children leads into today's theme. Dear God, I bet it's hard for you to love everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family and I can't do it. (laughs) In today's Bible passage, we read a few parables or stories that Jesus told. Jesus was really famous for his storytelling. And these three stories he told go really well together. They're all about lost things. A lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. And it's this story of the lost son that we're going to explore today, right now. The lost son is probably more commonly known as the prodigal son. And given this name, this focus on the son, it's easy to think that the focus really is on the son. That's who we should be looking at in this story. But I wonder if the focus is really meant to be on someone different. We can read the story and focus on the son who messed up so badly. Or we can instead read the story and focus on the father. And in particular, two of his characteristics. His unconditional love and his remarkable forgiveness. I reckon that's what Jesus wanted us to focus on. Not on the failure of the son, but on the forgiveness of the father. This is ultimately a story about an amazing father. A story of a father so remarkable, in fact, that it actually leaves us feeling a little bit uncomfortable, perhaps. Actually, it's interesting. Jesus often did that when he told stories. He often told parables in a way that would leave the listeners feeling uncomfortable. And the story of the prodigal son definitely has that effect on most people. But before we really dive into the story, I want to remind you of a story, contemporary story from Australia from a few years ago. It's a modern day tale of a lost son whose father showed incredible, remarkable, unconditional love 
to the point that left many people in our society feeling very uneasy. The story began with a boy who grew up in Adelaide and his father really loved him. But as the boy grew into his teenage years, he rejected his culture, his people and even his family. He converted to another religion. He left his home to live overseas. All this time, the father remembered and loved his son. Overseas, the young man lived pretty unwisely. He actually became involved in a war and he fought for the Taliban in Afghanistan. That was the army that Australia and America fought against in the war in Afghanistan. And this man ended up being caught, becoming a prisoner of war of the American army. And then he was transported to the other side of the world, was thrown into a small cell in Guantanamo Bay for five years. Throughout all of this time, his father remembered him and loved him. In fact, his father loved him so much that he became a very prominent figure publicly. And he fought for his son David, travelling around the world, speaking to the media, to governments, to lawyers, never giving up hope that he could be reunited with his son. So imagine the joy there was in that family when their lost son was actually freed and could return home. Do you remember the, remember the story? It doesn't matter what you think about the politics behind this story of David Hicks. Regardless of your view, it's a story of incredible love, incredible forgiveness of a father. And in some ways, it, it's a parallel story of the prodigal son. A story that actually should probably better be named The Loving Father. So the scene for this parable was that Jesus was sitting, having dinner with sinners and tax collectors. People with bad reputations, the worst reputations in fact. Everyone knew tax collectors were far from perfect. They were people who were materialistic, pleasure-seeking, and had even sold out and betrayed their own people. The Pharisees, on the other hand, were very well thought of. They were religious people who fasted at the right times, ate the right sort of food, gave the right amount of money to charity, followed all the rules and regulations of religion. The Pharisees, along with many other people, considered these sinners, these tax collectors, the absolute lowest of low, scum of the earth. They would never have ever considered spending time with sinners or eating with tax collectors. So how could Jesus spend time with these sinners? So it's interesting to note how these sinners reacted to Jesus and how the Pharisees reacted. So in the, in the passage it says, Sinners gathered around Jesus to hear him, to listen to him. That's what it says in Luke. They were there to listen to Jesus. The Pharisees, on the other hand, really had no interest in listening to Jesus. So it's likely that the story of the lost son that Jesus told didn't produce any softening of the Pharisees' hearts. I suspect on hearing the story, many Pharisees became angry rather than repentant. Anyway, the sinners gathered to listen and Jesus told the story we all now know so well of a father with two sons. And it began remarkably. The younger of the two sons came to his dad demanding his share in the father's property. (coughs) When you stop and think about it, that's pretty extraordinary. What would my dad say if I went to him and said, Dad, sell your house, please. Give me my share of the inheritance. I want to have some money. Inheritances are given out when parents die, not while they're alive. 
So the son was in effect saying, I don't care that you're alive, Dad. I consider that you're dead. So I want my inheritance now. It's an unbelievable start to the story. But even more incredible is that the father obliged. He gave the son half the inheritance and let him go. God also lets us go our own way. We're free to choose to be his child or not be his child. And so the son travelled far away and he lived a wild life, presumably quite a fun life, with women, with alcohol, seeking pleasure, without ever thinking about right living and honourable living. But of course, as was inevitable, his his money ran out and when his money ran out, we can really see what depths he fell to because he got a job working with pigs. Now that's probably not sounding like a big deal to you or me. Sure, it's a smelly job, not a job I'd want. But for this son, it's a lot worse than that. It's a big deal. It's a big deal for any Jewish man to get a job working with pigs. Because to Jews, pigs are unclean animals. Not unclean in terms of hygiene, but unclean in terms of spirituality. In Deuteronomy, God said to the Israelites, pigs are unclean. You're not to eat their meat or touch their carcasses. So we can see that this son couldn't really sink any lower. Here he was in utter poverty. He had lost his money, he'd lost his friends, and now he'd actually even given up on God because he was working in the most dishonourable job imaginable. Perhaps a modern-day equivalent would be leaving Christianity and joining a jihadist Islamic terrorist group or leaving Christianity and becoming a male prostitute and drug dealer. This son had really fallen. He'd fallen so low. And worst of all, it was by his own doing. He'd lost his father from all of this. So imagine him working there day by day, getting weaker, thinner, hungrier. Finally, in his deepest, darkest night, he came to his senses. He saw the state of affairs that his actions had created and he repented. He turned around, heading back home, realising he was actually completely unworthy. He had nothing to recommend himself to his father again. He was totally reliant on his father's forgiveness. What a journey back that son must have had. Imagine walking over that final hill, around that final corner, when his home came into sight. And that's when we hear about the incredible father again. From a distance, the father saw this young man, this lost young man. Perhaps his father had been watching for him every day to see if his son would return. And as soon as his father saw him, he jumped up and ran to his son. In ancient Middle Eastern societies, a father would never run to his son. It was beneath a father, an older man, to run. It was undignified to run. And yet the father wasn't interested in his own dignity, only in his excitement and his joy that his son was returning. And so he ran towards his son and he embraced him. The past was forgotten. It was in the past. This is one of the most beautiful images in the Bible. The son was still a long way from home when his father saw him. His heart was filled with compassion and he ran threw his arms around his son and kissed him. That father really loved his son. 
And if there was any doubt of that, it can be put to rest because the father put a robe on him, something that was reserved for only an honoured guest in the ancient world. And then he put sandals on his son's feet. Servants didn't wear sandals in the ancient Middle East. Sandals were reserved for family members. And he organised a party. The father's response to the returning son is really quite incredible. It's a beautiful thing. At least it's a beautiful thing unless you're the older brother. Because when the older brother returned home, heard of this treatment that his brother was receiving, he became angry. He couldn't accept that the father could treat the younger son so well. And he refused, therefore, to go in and celebrate. Actually seems like a pretty normal reaction, doesn't it? To my discredit, I think I would have reacted exactly the same. But the reaction's wrong. The older son wasn't reacting in love. He was acting with bitterness, not with grace. He bore a grudge, not mercy. Despite this, and and this is really important for people like me, the father didn't forget about the older son either. He went out to the older son. Again, this is something very undignified for a father in the ancient world to do because the older son should have come to him when he was called. His father never should have had to go out and beg him. But again, the father wasn't interested in his own dignity. He loved his older son too, so he went out and he begged him. My child, your brother's back. Please be happy and celebrate with me. And that's the story. It's left hanging. Did the older son join the celebration or not? Jesus didn't finish the story. It was up to the Pharisees to finish it. They were acting just like the older brother. So the story was left hanging for the Pharisees and it actually remains hanging for you and me if we're like the older brother. This parable shows us God's character. In particular, it reveals one especially important central feature of his character. His love and complete forgiveness. His love is manifest in his forgiveness. God loves his children. 1 John 4, 8 tells us God is love. And then 1 Corinthians describes what this love looks like so beautifully. We read it earlier today, actually. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love always protects. It always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The father in the parable loved like that. His love was patient. He waited for his son. His love didn't keep records of his son's wrongs. His love hoped and trusted. The story should remind us of God's ultimate demonstration of his love, the death of Jesus for our sins. In 1 John we're reminded of this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We've got a God who forgives. He forgives us. In fact, the last words of Jesus, or some of the last words of Jesus, Father, forgive them. The challenge of this story, though, isn't just to know more about the character of God. It's actually to become transformed to be more like God, to have that same character. So when you think about when you think about it, there's a relationship between us and each character of that story. The lost son should remind us of ourselves. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one here is perfect. 
No one's even close to perfect here. I was the lost son. You were the lost son or daughter. No Christian can deny it. We've been lost children and God has run towards us and embraced us. Or maybe you're still the lost child. And if you are, know that God is your father who's waiting for you with love. The angry brother reminds us of who we shouldn't be. The parable is warning us not to be like the angry, unforgiving brother. That's a theme that's found throughout the Bible. Remember, for example, the story of Jonah. God spared a repentant city and that made Jonah angry. But God replied, have you any right to be angry? Should I not be concerned about this city? It's a common human trait, it's a common human trait isn't it, to be upset when we see someone who we think is bad being welcomed and blessed by God. But why should we be angry at the forgiveness of a repentant sinner? So this angry brother reminds us not to be like one of those angry Pharisees. And the loving father reminds us of who we are striving to be like. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Peter asked Jesus, how often should I forgive my brother? And Jesus answered, 70 times 7. So don't do the maths because the implication is what's important. We aren't supposed to keep a tally. We're called to forgive and to forgive and to forgive again, to never withhold forgiveness, to forgive completely. It's not easy to do that, but it's actually what we're called to do. After all, that's what God does. Everywhere in the Bible, we're called to love like that, and we're called to love fully. The great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. Part of that love is forgiveness. Jesus called us to even love our enemies. That's how God acts towards us, and so it's what we should be like to others. So next time you hear mention of the prodigal son, think also of the loving father. Remember the words. And while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. And remember to strive to love the same. Go out to meet that person that needs your love. Be filled with compassion for that person. Be ready to embrace them. Do that. And you'll be, you'll be following God. You'll be a man or a woman after his own heart.